0: If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Welcome back everyone. We are in our summer series where we're just hearing stories from various amazing first responders and frontline workers. I'm so grateful to join you again with an amazing guest and I can hardly wait for you guys to hear it. Let's dive in. Welcome, Jeff. I'm so excited to have you here on Behind the Line today. I am so excited that we are finally connecting. I feel like we've tried in a few different ways to get connected and and have this moment together. Um, And I'm really excited to get your story because I actually came across pieces of your story in an article I came across on my Facebook feed one day. Um, And as soon as I saw it, I tagged it and said, we have to connect with Jeff at some point in time. So I'm really glad that we get to finally do this.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Lindsay. This is, uh, honestly, it's an honor to be here. Uh, and as I was, you know, before the show, we were talking about this. I think what you're doing is incredible. Um, these, converse, these difficult conversations need to happen. And, um, and yeah, I think it's really great that you're, uh, that you're putting these conversations out there. So thank you for what you're doing.
0: Thanks so much, Jeff. All right, we're going to start by talking about your story. So what brought you into first response frontline work? You work as a paramedic. So what brought you into that kind of work?
1: Yeah, it's, I, I probably didn't take the path that most people took. Uh, you know, I wasn't a lifeguard. Uh, I didn't volunteer at St. John's Ambulance. Um, but I did come from a family of first responders. My mom was uh, a nurse. She was a nurse in the Palliative Care Ward. And I can remember hearing stories uh, growing up of her, being with people in those final moments of their life and, and providing Mm -hmm. comfort and um, you know, an ear, uh, you know, support and that sort of thing. So I I think I was very much attracted to the idea of helping other people out at a young age for my mom. uh, My wife's a a police officer in the canine unit with uh, the transit police. Uh, My brother-in-law is a firefighter. So it kind of, it seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah. So I, and it, it, it was bizarre. I was working at a, uh, early in my 20s, working at a golf course of all things, and they needed someone to take a first aid course to, to be a first aid attendant. And, you know, once I, once I took that first aid uh, course, I was hooked and I wanted to do more with it. And, and uh, I, I live in North Vancouver, so I was walking by the hospital one day, at Lionsgate mm-hmm. Hospital, and I saw these two guys cleaning a stretcher outside in the ambulance bay outside of the hospital. And I walked up to them and I said, and actually, it's funny. One of the guys ended up becoming the mayor of North Vancouver, Daryl Massado, mm. who's uh, was an amazing mentor throughout my career. But I walked up to him and I said, "Hey, like, how would how would one go about becoming a paramedic?" And he said, "And these were back back in a day when uh, the rules about riding third or being an observer were a little bit more relaxed in the BC mm-hmm. ambulance service." And he said, "Why don't you come out with me tonight?" And so we I went out with them and and uh, we did some calls and it was it was awesome. Mm-hmm. I was hooked. And that, that was sort of, uh, the beginning of my career. So, cool. uh, that was early in 2000. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I loved it and I was hooked.
0: So what was the hook? Like, what about it was the thing that grabbed you and made you think, yeah, this is what I want to do.
1: Well, I, you know, I think in my early twenties and I, I kind of relate this, um, to, uh, you know, being very impressionable at, at that age, like kind of like my teenagers are right now, but, uh, it was very much the idea of the adrenaline rush of, of, of mm-hmm. you know, uh, going towards chaos. Uh, you know, you could see an ambulance going down the street with the lights and sirens on, you know, going through intersections. These people are heading towards danger and heading towards something that sounds terrible. Um, and, and just so that, that, that idea of being that person, uh, that calm in the storm was something that really interested me. As I would find yeah. out later on in my career as a paramedic, we know that you know, uh, just because you see an ambulance uh, heading down the street, lights and sirens on, doesn't mean it's an emergency. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, you know the the high acuity calls make up probably less than ten percent of the work we do. But yeah. just that, uh, you know, that perception of of heading towards danger and being able to help somebody else mm-hmm. in a worst moment was something that really interested me.
0: Yeah, yeah. fantastic. I mean, yeah. I think that's that is kind of the appeal on the front end. We did another conversation with another medic who's in Texas and. He said this is I mean he said it differently he was he was very much the like I watched a lot of TV and on TV it looked like it was all these really cool moments where there's <laughs> like a pole sticking out of someone and you got to figure out what to do about that and right like all the trauma stuff and then when we were talking about some of the the things that maybe surprised him about the job, one of the first ones he mentioned was there's not actually a lot of those despite the right, like the proportion that it's demonstrated on TV as being like, by and large, what you do in a day. Actually, it's just a lot of like heart attacks and shortness yeah. of breath calls and and things that you know, medically are really interesting, but are not what I thought I was signing up for.
1: Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, as an, I was an instructor for 10 years, um, which I loved, I loved, uh, uh, you know mentoring new students and, and uh, but that's the, one of the first things that I would say to these students that were really nervous and anxious about coming out is that listen it, it's not it's not what you think it is it's not you know just because yeah. you, 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 we have our lights and sirens on does not mean it's the end of the world um, uh, so yeah. it, the, the majority of what we do and I worked in in Vancouver and a lot of what we do as we know uh, with some of the areas in, in uh, you know, talking about the downtown east side there's a tremendous amount of mental health calls and and social yeah. work and and uh, and i and I think as a primary care paramedic, my role uh, the best medicine I could do for people was to advocate for them so being mm-hmm. able to talk to someone and being able to be silent with someone in some of their worst moments, yeah. just being there for somebody uh, was some of the best work that, that I've ever mm-hmm. done. It wasn't the bag valve mask or the defibrillator or starting an IV. It was being able to have a com- conversation with someone in their worst moments of their life. So yeah. that I think is, is truly what ended up being, what, what I discovered and surprised me about being a paramedic was, hey, you know, mm-hmm. it's not about all the, the equipment and, and the bells and whistles. It's about you know being able to talk to someone being able to totally. comfort someone in the worst moments. And that goes back to what I learned from my mom and, and uh, wow. her the amazing care that she uh, gave people uh, on the palliative care unit. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a very beautiful piece to be able to translate in that legacy of I, I learned this here and I get to see how it translates into this space where it's really, really necessary.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, uh, yeah I think that, yeah. And, and for everyone who's thinking about getting into this career, too, is is that was difficult. It was really difficult in my mm-hmm. early 20s to be able to have some very difficult conversations with people, you know, walking into, uh, um, you know, in my early 20s, walking into a house where a couple has been married for 50 years and they've just lost one of their loved ones. And I'm there, to comfort them in that moment what experience do I have to be able to say anything that's going to make them feel better in that moment so getting to overcome uh you know some of my fears and and um, and being able to offer some support was uh was really challenging but but uh I became very good at it uh, over the years Mm -hmm. and and something that I I have a lot of pride in when I look back on my career
0: that's awesome feel yeah. like you're hitting all the things before i have even asked for them, which is really cool. <laughs> um, I'm going to back up just, just a sure. tiny bit. I'm, you when bet. you first imagined going into the work, what did you imagine or anticipate or expect would be the things that would bring satisfaction versus the things that you thought would be the challenges at that time? and then the follow up question i'll just front load is what do you think surprised you in terms of how what actually ended up bringing satisfaction and what actually ended up being the challenges as you moved through the job so kind of the front end anticipation but then the actual lived experience
1: yeah that's a good question i you know didn't know what to expect as i, I it was learning on the fly when i when i started um, you know, I, I honestly thought that I would be making a difference in people's lives. And I think a lot of what we you, you touched on, what we get from TV is that a lot of those, you know, what we see is, is uh, the life-saving moments that... Uh, first responders have and, and, uh, that I was going to be making a huge difference and be thanked and, uh, and, Mm. uh, rewarded for what I did. And I found very early on that, that it is a very thankless job. And there isn't a lot of those moments that you make a difference, uh, that you save someone's life. There is definitely, I look back on my career and I've been part of some, some incredible experiences where I have made a difference in people's lives, but they are, are few and far between. And, and I don't think that, um, I don't think I expected to ever be thanked for what I did, but, um, but, it, but it's interesting as a paramedic, if I can just sort of, I'm going to jump around here with my thoughts a little yeah. bit, but yeah, go for um, it. It, it's, it's challenging because we, we take people to the hospital. Um, we provide a little bit of care. You may be with someone for a half an hour and then you drop them off at the hospital and you're so busy, you got to go on and do the next call. So you never really find out what happens to that person. Yeah. You don't find the backstory to what what happens, and and that is challenging because um, you, 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 I, as a paramedic, was always trying to improve and and try to think about you know the call. What could I have done differently? What could I have done better? And if you don't find out what happens at the end of it, it's challenging to put all those pieces mm-hmm. of the puzzle together. So uh, yeah. that that was um, that was something that surprised me uh, throughout my career. Um, but you know the things that did to the second part of your question, the things that actually I found a lot of, um, satisfaction in, as I mentioned before, were the conversations that I had with people. I had some incredible conversations over 20 years with, Mm -hmm. uh, with people that, um, whether they were people that, uh, surprised me that I, that I was going, you know, I, I did get a little bit jaded, uh, and Mm -hmm. uh, to say the least throughout my career. Um, but you know, going into some patient's house that I had sort of preconceived ideas about and then find out the backstory about how they got to, uh, you know, whether it was uh, drug addiction or um, or just a bad situation they're in and, and finding out how they got there. I, you know, I loved yeah. those moments. I, I really treasure those conversations that I had with people. Um and I made some incredible friend friendships throughout my career, whether they were with mm-hmm. colleagues or other first responders or hospital staff. I look back on that, and, and those were the moments that um, that I love. And I, I still, you know, as I, I've stepped away from the job, I miss. And uh, mm-hmm. you sort of forget; it's like a, an old boyfriend or girlfriend. You forget all the the bad moments, you but you remember the the good ones. Totally, so, that um,
0: fantasy version of what. That's was. right. Yes. Yeah, totally. So that
1: that brought me a tremendous amount of satisfaction. I. I, uh, I was lucky enough to be part of um, eight, uh, I delivered eight babies and, and just to be part mm. of that uh, situation, uh, you know, bringing life into this world, uh, incredible. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I love those experiences. So, mm. um, so yeah, it's not, it's not those, as I mentioned, it's not those life-saving moments that I look back on that were, yeah. that brought me happiness and satisfaction. It's those little conversations that I had that, yeah, that, yeah were great and amazing.
0: It's amazing how it's the small things that kind of take us by surprise, totally. right? Like, I think we often enter any kind of helping profession with some imaginings of how we're going to change the world and make it a better place. And, you know, these like big dream ideas of what that's going to look like. And, and some of us might do some aspects of that and, and have an impact in ways that are really significant, but even for those who have that story, I don't think that's the story that they feel most excited about. I think it is those small moments that we kind of bank to because they're the ones that feel differently, personal and connective.
1: Right. Absolutely. I think you, you, you hit it there by saying connection. I, and I think as, as human beings, that's something that we uh, strive for is connect is connections with yeah. people. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I'm so grateful to have had so many connections over my mm. uh, 20 year career. And I, and I mean that I've been invited, to, you know, I never took that for granted, being invited into somebody's house and being um, someone trusting me. I'm a complete stranger and yeah. trusting me with their life and or their loved ones, for that matter. Um, mm. I took a lot of pride in that. And yeah, uh,
0: yeah. fair. I feel like on the flip side of it, the challenges that I hear most often um, in terms of what makes the work really hard or really difficult to sustain in is so much the stuff that leaves us feeling really disconnected, right? Like whether that's, um, you know, a lack of support, um, really frustrating kinds of workplace environments outside of the calls, like I can know that the calls are going to be Hard and challenging, but i 'm also trained for that, but i 'm not really trained for being in these environments where there's all this like bureaucratic kind of bullshit and stuff right yeah. like it's often those layers of of disconnection that end up I think taking a different kind of toll on us in terms of trying to figure out how how we do the work long term
1: yeah and it's and, and a great point because and i hope hope you don 't mind I want to touch base on that a little bit because. Yeah, you know, in I was as I when I came into my career in in two thousand, the year two thousand, I was uh, um, I was well trained. I, I took a paramedic course for a year, and I was well trained in um, protocols and and uh, you know equipment and uh, how to deal with this situation. If 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 you know we had a congestive heart failure patient, how to how to deal with that, or how to deal with anaphylaxis, or how to deal with that. But what I wasn't trained for was the other stuff that came with the call, you know, that how I was going to react to it. And I think it's important too that people know about first responders is that we're asking them to put their emotions aside to do a job. I mean, it, it wouldn't make sense to run into some of these calls and 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 have disgust or fear or sadness uh, in that moment. You need to put those emotions aside to be able to get that call done. And I think that's where I got into, trouble early on in my career is that i wasn't trained for how to deal with those situations some of the things that i saw and witnessed i i had no training in how to deal with myself after the call and and uh how to look after myself and that got me into trouble early on mm-hmm. in my career um we we talked a little bit about teenagers before and i i kind of go back to being when i started my career uh in in my early 20s i was very impressionable and and and, uh, and looked up to people that I believed were courageous and brave. And, and mm-hmm. the way I found that were uh, first responders and paramedics that were stoic, that, you know what, yeah. it didn't bother, they would go into the more didn't faze them. stuff, and then they would just go on and, and about their day, you know, I could see them having lunch after the call yeah. uh, and just go about their day like nothing happened. And that, that was my definition of, of a strong mm-hmm. and someone who that was good at their job, so I yeah. took on that um, uh, as what I thought was a skill set uh, of a good paramedic and and very much buried a lot of those emotions and some of those difficult mm-hmm. calls that I did. Um, another one of the things that people did is, is got together after after work and drank. And that's when they yeah. talked about um, some of these calls. So I figured that, that these cultural norms that uh, existed was the way things, the way the business was done. So I I very much got caught up in that and uh, early on and and used alcohol as as a crutch um, early on in my career to get through some of those difficult moments and to uh, uh, diffuse. Because there wasn't really, when I started, there wasn't critical incident stress debriefing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, we're, we're only talking about 22 years ago and that was not a normal part of the job. Um, yeah. uh, I, you know, the, the, I didn't see that until maybe 10, 10 or, or 15 mm-hmm. years into my career. So, um, so that's when we did our critical incident stress debriefing was at the bar after yeah. we drank totally. and, uh, and so I, you know, in, in 2000, I, I, used that as, um, you, you talk about developing coping mechanisms. One of my coping mechanisms was alcohol. And, and yeah. you know, whether it's good or bad was was a part of my of the way I um, I debriefed after a difficult day and and it mm-hmm. it um, it wasn't uh, problematic early on and I hope you don't mind I'm I'm going to just sort of jump into no, some yeah. of the challenges that I faced but um, yeah. early on it wasn't really problematic it was something that I did after work and and uh, um, you know it, it wasn't a daily thing but in 2007. Uh, I, and it, this may be triggering for, for some people, but I think it's important to share some of these stories. I, I, uh, I responded to, um, uh, uh one of the worst gangland shootings in Vancouver. It was, uh uh, at the fortune happiness restaurant, which is, I I think the Mm -hmm. ironic to hear those, the the title of the restaurant, but, but after that call, I had this, you know, you talk about moral injuries and that's where the, Mm -hmm. that, you know, to think that another human being could do this to others, uh, you know, seven people were shot at this, at this restaurant. And I couldn't, I really struggled with that. Um, that's where I think that I, the, the really where PTSD started for me, although I wasn't diagnosed, I, I went after that call, I remember driving home and, and relive, reliving that scene in the restaurant, and, and that's when I began to, to really use alcohol as a coping mechanism, and it became a part of my um, my day-to-day life, it, uh, it you know, on my days off, I found that I was now, um, you know, consumed with reliving that scene in the restaurant, you know, and, and some of the uncomfortable symptoms that PTSD, you know, like that hypervigilance. And, and uh, not being able to sleep and, the, and that sort of thing. and I was using alcohol to get through uh, yeah. those difficult times and, and it uh, and it became, you know and but I, as I you know, I stuffed those emotions down because I thought that you know that my peers that were the stoic paramedics are the strong ones, that's what they did. So mm-hmm. I continued on and, and in 2009, things really took a turn for me um i was working in the downtown east side and and i delivered uh twin twin baby girls um and just an, an incredible call and the very next call was for a 2 year old um uh, child that was uh, a pedestrian struck and killed uh mm. and and that stopped me in in my you know in my tracks and you know i was heading home that day to my 2 year old son at home and and that's where things got really bad for me i, I uh, began to use alcohol every day. I, I was off work at this point And I was yeah. um, waking up, um, drinking and, and, and drinking till a point where I f- would pass out at night using, um, you know, adivan and Zopocone to sleep mm-hmm. at night because the the dreams were, the nightmares were so bad. So my yeah. marriage was falling apart. And, uh, and my wife um, decided, you know, said, listen, why don't we get some marriage counseling? And that's where he uh, you know, after speaking with the marriage counselor and, um, she said, listen, I, I think you, you've got, you know, post-traumatic stress. I think you need to speak to a, a, a psychologist mm. and, uh, that has some experience with uh, trauma. And, yeah. and that's where I got that first diagnosis of, of PTSD. So mm. um, I did, I was able to, and, and I did get some help early on and I was able, I've been sober since then, which I, I quit drinking. And, and uh, you know, despite that, it's, it's amazing, despite the challenges I've had in my life, since then alcohol has not been one of them uh it's Mm. it's something that i've been able to um to to, to put away but i I did get some help and you know i spent three months working on uh uh doing some exposure therapy and and uh and cbt and, and and uh and i i got a lot better and i went back to work and and uh and Post traumatic stress was something at that point that was behind me. And, and you know, mm-hmm. something that happened and I didn't need to think about again, you know, okay. which is, which is, I know now is, is, uh was,
0: uh-huh. I was going to say, how long mistake. did that go for?
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. You know, I, I went about yeah. my career. I had, you know, now I had these great, uh, uh, these healthy coping mechanisms. I took up, yeah. uh, I took up woodworking of all things. I, that's how cool. I spent my days off. Yeah, yeah. I started building furniture and, and, uh, exercise and kind of became a fanatic about exercise and and felt like things were going along just fine for me Mm -hmm. and and post-traumatic stress. And I felt sort of invincible and bulletproof at that point. I'd gone through this. This isn't something that's going to happen to me again. I don't drink anymore, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm fine now. So, um, and, you know, spent the next 10 years, uh, uh, going about my career and, 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 um, in 2019 uh, is when uh, I was underneath a, a, a truck. I was doing a call underneath a there was a truck where a child had been uh, struck by a vehicle again, and that's when things just everything kind of flooded back to me. Um, I was now you know uh, struggling after that call. I was uh, you know a lot of the same symptoms that I experienced in 2009 were back again, but. Um, but I, I was really good at just this, sort of that denial of like, i you know, this isn't something I'm going through, I, you know, this is, um, and just kind of pushed away until the point where I got so depressed and anxious about mm-hmm. not sleeping anymore. Um, I'd be up for, you know, a couple of days without sleeping. I was depressed. I was uh, uh, anxious about going to work and that sort of thing. So... Yeah. Um, it's amazing. It's you, you feel like uh, you know this. This is something that's happened to me. I've already gone through this. Isn't going to happen to me again. And, and here, I, here I was, uh, you know, ten years later, back into the same uh, spot that I was in, in two thousand nine. So um, I struggled, and and this is where things in, in my life took and, and sort of explains how where my path has changed a little bit, hmm. and, and and how I've come to be to what I'm doing now. But I. I in in 2019 I ended up making a difficult decision to step away from work for a while and and try to work on myself. So I did some things like I did EMDR therapy. Yeah. Um, I, I was put into a trauma treatment program for first responders, which was uh, I'd never heard of before, but it was a sort of a multidisciplinary uh, treatment mm-hmm. program for uh, first responders that had gone through um, uh, post traumatic stress and and I did a lot of work and and. I can't tell you how hopeless i felt after that to still be struggling with these nightmares and flashbacks and yeah. and uh and it and it got to the point in in last year in, in 2021 where it was february 16th i i woke up and uh i had had enough i I'd, I'd, uh, you know uh, was now back into the same position that i was in, in 2009 i'd done what I felt was a lot of work on myself and and was still struggling with these flashbacks and nightmares. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, I remember that day just thinking that, um, this is enough. I, I, I can't take this anymore. I drove my son to, to the gym. And and then I, I drove, I headed towards the Lionsgate bridge and, um, you know, I parked my car at the shopping center at park Royal and, and walked onto the bridge deck. And, and, you know, at that point I was there, to end the suffering. I'd, I'd had enough. Um, I was exhausted. Um, uh, yeah. you know, I stepped over the railing and I remember Lindsay feeling in that moment, the first, for the first time, like in, in, in so long, I, I felt in control.
0: I yeah. felt at
1: peace with the decision I was going to make. Yeah. Like I felt I'm no longer going to be suffering or I'm no longer to be haunted by these nightmares anymore. And, yeah. and the irony, some power back. Yeah, and I felt good. I felt, about the decision I was going to make, and and um, you know I, I, the irony is I'd been on that bridge deck with so many people mm-hmm. in in those moments and trying to empathize and and sympathize with them or trying to connect with them, but I had no idea what they were going through, you yeah. know. And there there I was now in that same situation, and and I could hear the the sirens in the distance coming up, um, you know, the Lionsgate Bridge, and and you know eventually there was a police officer next to me over the railing, and and uh, and uh, I was apprehended. Uh, it's important that you, you know. I felt like I was arrested mm-hmm. at first because they put me in the handcuffs. But I was apprehended in the Mental Health Act and, and taken to St. Paul's to get the help I needed. And, and uh, but yeah, it was it, it, such an interesting um, perspective. You talk about you know w- whether people have regrets or um, about what they what they've gone through. Uh, What's happened? How the the ninety degree or one hundred and eighty degree turn that my life has taken since then has been pretty incredible, and uh, and and I'm I'm grateful to have gone through that experience. I know I don't know if that sounds right, but Mm -hmm. uh, there's not a lot of people that can be in those moments. That that was the lowest point in my life, yeah. But I have that as an experience now, and I think what it's led me now to this journey of of trying to help others out. Uh, is, is been pretty incredible. So it's, yeah. it's an experience that uh, I'm grateful to have gone through and survived, and grateful for mm. the help, the help that I've got, and and, uh, and I'm I'm still here now, and and think what I'm doing right now is is pretty amazing. So
0: behind the line is sponsored by beating the breaking point. Beating the breaking point is a seven part online training program designed specifically for first responders and frontline workers and tailored to fill the gaps in your training to support resilience and sustainability. Whether you're new to the work and wanting to cultivate tools to prevent burnout, compassion fatigue, and related concerns, or you are deep into your years on the job and have gone a few rounds with burnout and other mental health challenges, this program offers the foundational pieces you need to support personal and professional wellness for the long haul. You are a helper. You love your work and you sacrifice a lot. Investing in you and your sustainability is the best gift you can give yourself and those who lean on you. We make this program as risk-free as possible by offering a limited money-back guarantee to ensure that it's a fit for you. If you enjoy Behind the Line, you are going to love this program. Google beating the breaking point, Lindsay, and find everything you need to get started or use the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. yeah. Mm, Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of, there's a book, uh, that I think every therapist has read. It's called the gift of therapy and it's written by, uh, very senior therapist, Irving Yalom, and he's speaking to, to training therapists, new therapists, and it's all of the bits of wisdom he can compile into one little book. And it's a fantastic book. Um, But one of the things he says in it is it's all grist for the mill. And the idea is that everything is usable, right? So like in therapy, we talk about this idea that when people come in and they talk about like random random stuff. Cause heavens knows it's not always the super deep, valuable, important things that you thought you were going to do when you did this job. A lot of times we're just talking about what happened on Tuesday. Um, but that <laughs> all of it is usable and even how, how people come in and approach what happened on Tuesday and how they talk about what happened on Tuesday, like all of those bits and pieces have meaning and value and translate into what's hard in their lives and what they're struggling with. And to some extent, it's this broader piece of it's all grist for the mill. Like everything that happens to us is what we make of it, right? And so when we have really hard things happen, that doesn't mean we have to be like so grateful for the terrible things, but we can recognize that it's a piece of our story that still has value and meaning if we choose to hold it that way and carry it forward from that place. I think the place that we get really tripped up is where we perceive parts of our story from such a deep place of um, like victimhood, where where we were the uh, bearers of this thing that we feel it's impossible to carry forward with us in a way that we can feel like there's meaning in that story, that's where we get ourselves in trouble because then it feels like I have no power, I have no control over or over making this part of my story feel like mine in a way I feel okay about we don't have to feel okay about everything that's happened to us. We're not going to feel okay about lots of things that happened to us, but how do we still hold that? That's part of my story and that it shapes who I am now in all of the hard ways, but also some of the really cool and meaningful ways about me.
1: Absolutely. I I, I love the way that's uh, beautifully said. I love that. Mm. Um, and I think, you, you know, when I was in that moment, I remember being, you know, getting over to St. Paul's hospital and, and, uh, that, that my wife driving me, picking me up and driving me home. And there was this, this sense of what now, what do I do now? I, you know, yeah. I can't go back to this career that I love so much. And I, and, you know, uh, who am I now? What do I do mm-hmm. now? Do I just, you know, do I lay down and just accept the fact that this is, this is what it is, or what's yeah. next, what's the next chapter about. And, and that for me was, was, a you know, that pivotal moment in, in my life where, um, you know, I I could sit down and just continue to be, like you mentioned, like a, a, the victim or, you know, let this thing, this is happening to me, yeah. or, I, or I could, you know, choose to do something about it and take control of my life, like I did on that bridge deck. And, you know, whether yeah. it was right or wrong, you know, I, I took control of my life. Yeah. And so that, uh, out of that has come something like really amazing. And I I, I have a lot of pride in this, because I do believe that I I'm, I'm here and my, my, you know, I, I'm, I'm not extremely religious, but I, I, I believe that, you know, I'm on this planet to help other people. And I think yeah. my, you know, that, and so I, you know, in the last, since the last, since February 16th, 2021, I've started a nonprofit organization to help other first responders that are going through post-traumatic stress to help yeah. the general public. Cause we know that in Canada, the rates of PTSD are not just related to first responders or people in the military. It happens to, sadly, it happens to a public. Um, so high rates of PTSD amongst, amongst our public. So my mission now is to help others and, and to make sure that they don't go through what I went through. And, and so whether that be me going out and sharing a difficult story of, of my life and uh, which I've done, um, I, I think that is where um, that, that is where, you know, satisfaction and um purpose, meaning, hope is, is, is in that. And uh yeah. and I've I've gained a lot from that, a lot of uh, a lot mm. of that uh purpose, hope, and meaning. Uh, you know, totally. but, but yeah, through this. Yeah.
0: There's a piece I want to hone in on for a second because I think it's really yeah. valuable. And I don't know that we've touched on it on the show in a way that feels as clear. There's this piece about identity that we tend to build into our occupations and we do that culturally in a lot of different ways but first responders are especially terrible at this where yes. we like embody the uniform and it it feels so much a part of us that then we do have that question who am i now mm-hmm. without this thing which is so fascinating right like cuz the question really should be what do i do now that i don't do this thing but the yeah. question is weirdly who am i Now, without this thing right and that really speaks to the degree to which we create this identity within the work that we do that we really shouldn't it's a terrible idea that we do that, Um, and yet you then said this follow up piece that I believe that my mission is to help people. And that's way different and much cooler, right? So I think one of the things I always find interesting is when I talk with people who are no longer going to be in the careers that they've done all these years and frustratingly that they loved, right? Like, I don't want to leave. I loved doing what I'm doing, but I am also aware that I cannot continue to do it and stay well. That when we are trying to separate that identity piece, one of the real sticky points is not knowing that my mission in life was not to be a paramedic, or a corrections officer or a nurse or a whatever, mm. right? That my mission speaks to why I loved that, but that I can find that in other places.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I love that. You know, and, and uh, believe it or not, I was one of those that said, don't, don't ever define yourself as being, I am a paramedic. You are more than that. You know, you were not, we're not designed to be on this, on this amazing, planet just to just to work right uh, and so I tell people you know people ask you know so what, what are some useful tips and, and you know when I talk to students is make sure that you have outside hobbies make sure that you don't define yourself by your career you're more than that this is something that you maybe do for four the four days on that you're you're a paramedic but make sure on your four days off that you're doing something else whether it be hobbies or totally. interacting with your family or um, you know w- whatever it may be but you know overtime is another thing is is people that just immerse themselves in that culture and and, you know on their days off they're working overtime the only friends that they have are other first responders it's it's a dangerous path because it leads to that that um uh, of yourself of who you actually are right so um but yeah I, i and i like the way you said that you know maybe it's 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 not the job itself it's it's what you know Uh, as a first responder we help others so there's other ways that I can continue to help people uh you know and and gain the um the things that I love so much about that career right the Mm. conversation being able to speak to people being able to help others so I found a lot of value and satisfaction and purpose and meaning in that uh, and what I'm doing now with this nonprofit.
0: that's awesome I want to speak to one other piece because you you shared this piece about the 10 years in between, right? So kind of that initial discovery about PTSD and kind of this 10-year window where I thought I was doing all right, and then it kind of kicked me in the butt again, Um, and there's a couple thoughts I have about that. I think one of the things that sounds like it kind of translates across that time is this. Uh, kind of theme of, of a certain kind of call that feels especially hard, which I think a lot of people have, right? So whether it's the kid calls, or I know for some people, it's the more geriatric calls, or it's those people that we feel differently vulnerable, and they often feel connected to our own personal stories, right? And so having awareness of our own stage of life, our story, what is going to be more vulnerable and sensitive for us, And then being differently conscientious about what we do after we've worked a call that Mm -hmm. reflects on or triggers aspects of that is needs to be differently intentional. And if we can be differently intentional about it, I think we can be differently protective of having some of the things you experience kind of like take us by surprise. Right. Mm -hmm. I think the other piece, and I say this on the show a lot, but I feel like I will say it forever because there's never enough. Um, is this piece about like pausing long enough to recognize how we're feeling right so in that 10 year span my hunch is that not every single minute of it felt awesome and that probably there was some amount of lead up from here to here that would have maybe served as an indicator that says hey heads up jeff you're not as awesome as you think you are right this minute and that had we caught that there maybe it would have looked a little different right like maybe the trajectory would not have landed me on a bridge deck and who knows like it's hard to speak to that all mm-hmm. in hindsight but i think it's the i did the work and now i'm done and i'm great now and i'll be great forever and i'm doing things i'm exercising and i do woodwork great mm-hmm. right and like we yep. we lose track of the fact that like those things are awesome, right? We talk a lot on the show about self-care. We talk a lot in therapy about self-care. Those are super valuable things that help us counterbalance the weight of the work and it's good. But if we're not taking semi-regular pauses to check in with ourselves and go like, okay, but how have I been sleeping lately? How often have the nightmares been cropping up? Are they getting more frequent? How often do I dread going into work?
1: How yeah, many days yeah. this
0: last week did I feel like I'm excited to go do my job versus ugh, I don't want to be there, right? Yeah. Like those kinds of checkpoints that let us kind of assess and reassess. And it's actually why, and the reason I talk about it a lot, so we built a tool that does that. So we built a tool called the Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide. And its job is cool on the front end. And I think that's where a lot of people use it is they want to do an initial, I feel like I might be burning out. They do the checklist and they find out kind of where they rank on it. But the tool is not meant for a one use and done moment. Like use it repeatedly, use it over time, every month, every quarter, interact with it again so that you have a sense of, oh, last month I ranked here, this month I'm ranking here. What does that tell me about where I'm headed? Oh, and next month, look, I'm ranking it again, even higher. Probably that speaks to some changes I need to make or some things I need to do differently in order to try to catch this before I get so far down the road.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think that's amazing. The, the concept of having a proactive approach to our mental health and resiliency is amazing because totally. uh, i i still think it's not a, there's not enough of that um, uh, you know i was having lunch with a, a you know an old core worker friend of mine that had been off for three months and he was talking about what am i going to tell people why i'm going what am i going to tell people why i'm off so there's still those cultural yeah. norms and stigmas that exist totally. putting your hand up and saying you know what, maybe not I'm i'm not okay but if yes. there was something that, that a standard approach to this, that it was like, uh, and you have to look at first responders are a little bit different. And I think they like mm-hmm. the idea of gadgets and, and equipment and that sort of thing. But if you had something there for them, that was, um, you can see what people's baseline is on a regular basis to see mm-hmm. where, they, where they score or whatever it may be. I think that's amazing. And yeah. it gives you insight into your own suffering. And it's not, and, it, and I think it helps break that stigma that's associated with saying, hey, you know, I'm not doing great after this call you know, maybe you are, but I'm not. So, yeah. um, yeah. And I think, um, I think more needs to be done because, you know, we're 2022 and we're still seeing some of these same stigmas that existed 20, 30 years ago. Right. So, yeah. and, uh, you know, I, 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 I lost five friends to suicide, coworkers to suicide in my career, in my 20th career, and that's not acceptable and that's still yeah. happening today, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I think more needs to be done. Be yeah, done for this. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, I agree with you 100 percent I think it's why we're here. I think it's why your nonprofit exists the way yeah. that it exists, right? Like it's mm-hmm. that recognition that there are too many great people that are going down. Yeah. And and it's needless, right? Like there's just it it surprises and continues to surprise me how often I hear things like, you know, we talk about how we're supposed to watch out for PTSD. Everyone says it. There's posters all over our workplace that say it. But if You asked me to list the symptoms of PTSD. I actually have no idea what the fuck I'm supposed to be looking for.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're you're absolutely. How is that a thing? You're absolutely. How is that a thing? Yeah, you know, I I um I was talking to someone about this, uh, to a teacher actually about this. Is that we uh, are with our kids. If if we we teach them, uh, you know, how to read and write and and math and and socials and science and all that kind of stuff, but what we don't teach them is how their bodies react to stress Mm -hmm. and why isn't that. Part of curriculum, I think. It, mm-hmm. it, I think uh, you have younger kids. I think they maybe are doing a better job with emotional intelligence yeah. now. Like the, I think they you use color codes or something yes, like that. Yes, there's a traffic thing. light system. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, there you go. But we, uh, you know, I, I can speak to my generation as that wasn't something yeah. that was part of. Is is I I found out unfortunately going through what I went through, how my body reacts to stress, and the amount of work yeah. that I've done on my own to to figure out how my body reacts to stress. Doesn't but if we know. found out early on, if that was part of curriculum, is is this is how your body reacts to stress. And this is what you need to do to take care of yourself and self-care and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Why, why aren't we doing that? Why, why isn't that part of part of uh, whether it's, and I can still tell you to today, Part of the primary care paramedic program there's only four hours allotted to mental health and, and yeah. self-care four hours is not acceptable for mm-hmm. people that are going to go out in a career that uh, could potentially put them into the same situation that that, uh, that I went through so mm-hmm. um, that needs to change and I, I still you know I want to be a part of that change if anything that I can do to support that uh, I think the work that you're doing is amazing um, uh, but as we know change is slow and things take time yeah. but but uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, and it's hard, right? Because I think there's also this piece about like political will. And unfortunately, so many of these professions are entrenched in political systems that don't value them the way that they should. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the other challenges is And I often talk about this idea of like, we need to be really on top of this for ourselves because our workplaces often won't do it for us. There are some that are the exception to the Mm -hmm. rule and they're awesome. I've heard about some really, really cool workplaces that really are trying to be ahead of the game and on top of things and really supportive of their people. But that's Mm -hmm. a newer and emerging thing. It is for sure not the standard. And the Mm -hmm. challenge is, is that it's cheaper to just get new people Than it is to invest in the existing ones we have the really Mm -hmm. unfortunate thing and the thing that scares me honestly is I think about you know if my kids needed a paramedic if my kids needed to go to the hospital. What I know is that the majority of the people working right now are new and that Mm -hmm. terrifies me Mm -hmm. right like I don't want the rookie who's seeing Mm -hmm. my kid when they fall Mm -hmm. off their bike, I want. I want the person that has experience, I want the person who has been in it a long time and has seen a little bit of everything, and I want them to be good so that my kid is good and I can trust that this is okay, right? And yet I'm hearing so many stories of, especially emerge and ICU nurses right now that are talking about, you know, like I've only been on the job maybe two years and I'm senior staff,
1: that is not okay. Yeah, the the ambulance service. It used to when I got hired. It would uh, I I worked for uh, and, and those you know when I got hired I worked for five years. I had to work five years part time. So and, and yeah. I went to all over BC. I traveled all over British Columbia with my family. Mm-hmm. And it took seniority to get back into Vancouver. Currently, I I believe that they're hiring full time Vancouver just off like from from finishing their courses. Yeah. So people with without any experience and and the opioid crisis and uh, the COVID nineteen. Uh, pandemic has has really highlighted burnout rates. You know, you talk about like a shelf life on a first responder career. I believe there's an expiry date. They talk about a 15 year mark of of I I think that might even be too long with the amount of exposure that's out there. So um, you're right. Uh, We're losing good people. We're losing experienced people because burnout rates are so high. And I think had we done a little bit of work to address that early on, whether it been awareness or um, we'd save a lot of lives, save a lot of marriages and mm-hmm. save all sorts of different, you know, uh, yeah, yeah that yeah. preventative I work. I mean,
0: it's hard, right. Cause I think there is this part of me that also recognizes that, you know, I did a therapy degree, like I, I did a master's in counseling psychology and we talked a lot about self-care and, and, um, mitigating the risks of, um, vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue and all of those things. Um, and it's good. And I'm I'm thankful that it was there and that I can look back to it to kind of remind myself. But also at the time I was in my early 20s and thought I was invincible and yeah. thought, you know, like that's for the sissy therapists that mm. just don't write, like just aren't tough enough to hack it. And. Um, mm-hmm. And for sure within the first four years of my career had burnout right
1: like, yeah, yeah absolutely. right yeah. and so it's yeah. just
0: that like we yeah. can front load so much but we do need to front load and we need to front load with what we're looking for what we should even be noticing and and for me that was one of the pieces too is i i was very well aware of what i'm supposed to do for burnout but i did mm. not have great clear understanding of what i should be looking for in my own self as it related to burnout so mm-hmm. i knew how to talk about it with other people I knew how to assess it for them but to actually like pause long enough to assess myself and just check in with how i'm doing and the thing about burnout is it sneaks up on us like it's this it incremental layered thing that doesn't just like show up on tuesday and now i have burnt like yeah. it is gradual and so i think it's not just the training piece although that would be amazing to have included more in training but i also think it needs to be this like rolled out over time Part of our continuing education credits need to be ongoing education about mm-hmm. what we know about post traumatic stress and burnout and compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, organizational trauma, right? Yeah. Like these are yeah. huge things yeah. that are important to talk yeah. about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, 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 uh, and I look forward to a future that, that, that exists, you know, and I, I think mm. we're heading in the right direction. I think all yeah. those things that you mentioned are great. And I, I think we're headed towards that direction The the trouble is, we're seeing, uh, is that change is slow and, and these things yeah. take time and there's a lot of red tape uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, political bureaucracy, funding issues, all sorts of, yeah. uh, problems that shouldn't, uh, become be barriers for this, but they are, and they exist. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah no thanks for mentioning that
0: yeah for sure
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay my last question yes. for you Jeff, is if you could speak to students or rookies in your profession what words of wisdom or advice would you share with them or hope would you share for them to receive support in their career going forward like you've done a lot of training so what are the things that you say to students that that feel like the really meaningful stuff they might not get from someone else
1: Yeah. Like I I think we hit on a few of them. I I think self-care is really important and you know, I mentioned there's still that that stigma and, and some of the cultural norms that exist with, with putting yeah. your hand up and saying, you know what, that bothered me, that there's something wrong with yeah. that. That's that's okay. That absolutely can save your life one day. That, that you know, being able to recognize that something impacted mm-hmm. you and, uh, you know, that you're having a, a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. We hear that before, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I often tell new students if they walked in and started crying that that's okay. That's absolutely okay mm-hmm. to, to have a normal reaction into abnormal situation. so um that's important don't ever lose touch with your emotions and humanity don't don't ever put that aside because yeah. that 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 uh can get you into trouble so and have and don't identify yourself we talked about that earlier is don't identify yourself by your career you're more than this you're more mm-hmm. than a paramedic or whether you're a father or a friend or you have outside hobbies and interests that's so important and yeah. um and yeah and, and enjoy those moments and and um, like that I talked about those moments, those conversations that, that were really meaningful in my career, where I got to meet people and have some, enjoy those moments. Cause those are the ones that, that'll, that you'll think about when that career is over and, and you're yeah. retired. So, uh, yeah. enjoy those moments. Yeah.
0: Solid summary. I like yeah. it. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I also want to give you a chance to chat just a little bit about your nonprofit and to share a little bit about the detachment technique.
1: You bet. So um, I appreciate that. So when I got out of the hospital, um, I, I was introduced to a, ca- a registered counselor named Steve King. Now, I, uh, people be apprehensive about Stephen King being your counselor. Right. right? I, I would be. Uh, and right away, I was like, oh, my. Right. You got to be kidding me. I'm sure he gets right. that a lot. <laughs> totally. But he's uh, he's uh, had over 30 years of experience working in the field of trauma and addictions. And, and we know that addictions, uh, there's a lot of trauma related to that. So uh, he's de- developed a treatment modality that's based on energy psychology, uh, acupressure, and some accelerated uh, information processing. So um, it's a skill set to help sort of navigate the impacts of shock and trauma, which I think is important. We touch base on having sort of a proactive approach, something in your back pocket that you can use on your own to get through some difficult calls. So uh, what we're trying to do is just, is to build awareness and education around post-traumatic stress, uh, get help to those that that have fallen through the cracks in the system, whether it's a financial barrier or um, are just not getting the help that they need. So uh, right. we're trying to address that. And um and so we offer uh support through our website uh Um, www.detachmenttechnique.com there's a toll-free number on there that you can reach out and uh, i'm happy to give anyone information about that And, and uh steve is a is is working with uh lots of first responders in the lower Mainland. we've had some good success with uh there's also some other um things on our website uh, some other wellness resources we offer uh trauma-informed yoga uh, which has been great i've i've been awesome. uh, i love doing yoga yeah. it's part of my daily routine right now um and just some there's some blogs and and some uh, uh just some information on there that i think is super useful to anyone who's going through a difficult time right now so uh if there's anything that i can do uh please reach out to our website i'm happy to uh I'm happy to talk to you, even if it's just That's a conversation. Awesome. So I've had, you know, since I've shared this story, I've had so many people reach out to me, and and yeah. I'm humbled by their stories. I really am. I thought I was going through a difficult time until I hear what others are going through. So, yeah. um, and and that uh, it means a lot that people have been vulnerable with me and been able to share their stories. So. Um, Yeah, so great stuff. Thank you so much. We will for
0: sure put uh, your website on or in the show notes. So for those that are wanting to connect, they'll be super easy to find there. um, Usually just below wherever they're listening or watching this. Um, And I just want to say thanks, Jeff, for taking the time for one, but also for being willing to come in and share so vulnerably about your story. I know it's not always easy to jump on and be... um, public about the more personal and hard parts of our stories. And I really appreciate that you are allowing yourself to, A, just share it, but B, share it in the hopes that it helps other people kind of avoid what you've had to go through. And so I really appreciate that that's something that you're willing to put yourself out there for.
1: Oh, thanks, Lindsay. I, I've uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation and uh, I love what you're doing. I, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I think this is amazing what you're doing and I know you're going to help lots mm-hmm. of people out there. So thank you thanks for what you so do. much
0: for that. And likewise, I think it's fantastic the work that you're doing as well. So we're going to change the world, Jeff. We just need okay. more time and a lot we do. more money, probably.
1: <laughs> Some money, politicians yes. politicians in yes. our
0: pockets. Yes. I know,
1: I know. Work wink, on wink. On i know i'll try i'll do my best
0: i want to say one more big thank you to my guest for today it is so wonderful to get to have this opportunity to talk to some incredible and amazing people who have been out there doing the work seeing this stuff and figuring out how to hold it differently I'm so grateful for the willingness of these incredible people to jump on with me, share their stories, and share with you the various ways that they're learning and finding to move through this kind of work with some amount of sanity intact. I think we can all take something really special from that. As we wrap up today, I want to encourage you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I also love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. If you have any feedback for my amazing guest today, please let me know and I'm happy to pass it along. I continue to be so amazed and inspired by this community that we are building and creating together. I'm so grateful for your support and that many of you are so incredibly keen to share about behind the line to others on the front lines. Thank you so much for sharing with those, you know, I want to let you know that we do have ways to support sharing. So if you reach out to me, I can send you posters and cards and all kinds of other ways that you can share with your workplace and your colleagues about behind the line and our other resources. Also know that you can share any of our social media posts or forward any of our emails that we send you with reminders about the show. We just want more people to be supported. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Many of our summer series uh, episodes will be videotaped, and we will include those recordings on YouTube. So check those out if you want to join us in real life. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes or subscribe to our email list to hear from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, and you can access our email list by clicking to get our free Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which helps you facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. We make all of our different resources available to you guys because the work you do really, really matters to our communities. But way more than that, you matter. Your life matters and the people who matter to you matter. And we want to make sure that you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, but as well in your very real and amazing life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.